All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy to prepare food order today 888-457-3453 888-457-3453 or go online at preparewithcr.com that's preparewithcr.com build your emergency food supply for only $99 limit two units per caller 888-457-3453 or online at preparewithcr.com that's 888-457-3453 or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV, and you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Hopefully you all enjoyed America's annual gorge, known as Thanksgiving. Hopefully everybody's recovered. Back to the grind. The official countdown to Christmas is on. We'll have the Christmas bumpers tonight. That means three more weeks of the Steve Day show, and then I'm in the basement until 2017. Literally. Like, living in the basement. The annual Christmas uh, couch veg out with the family that everybody looks forward to every single year. Nonetheless, we will be here until the end on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. We love to know what you think about what we think, so let us know. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Todd, you have a good Thanksgiving. It was excellent. Yes. So where does gravy rank now on Noah's list? It is now one of the accepted uh, food groups uh, in uh, in Noah's stand. Gravy has been recognized. He's yes. a real man now. Yes, he has. Uh, his voice is deeper, in fact. Aaron, how was your Thanksgiving? I was real good. Uh, got, uh, got to eat a lot of gluten-free food, and it was wonderful. Well, very good. So let's get to it. I, I want to begin tonight with um, an analogy. 
You know that tale of the binging rock star and his junkie groupie? But you repeat yourself. (laughs) (laughs) You know the binging rock star and the junkie groupie, and they know they're bad for each other, right? They know they are. And every time they get together, it always ends up with two naked people in a seedy hotel somewhere and half drank liquor bottles strewn throughout the room along with a bunch of dirty needles, right? And full ashtrays. And everybody, and, and, and they hate each other in the morning until the tour comes back around again. She's backstage. He can't say no. They know they're bad for each other. They know it. They bring out the absolute worst in each other, but they can't stay away. This is what the relationship is. I'm not sure if it's symbiotic, parasitic, or just dysfunctional, but this is the relationship between Donald Trump and the media. Now, I'll leave it to each individual person to decide who is the binging rock star and who is the junkie groupie. But they can't help themselves. The media needs Trump like it needs oxygen, like we need oxygen to breathe. A weekend wave of terrorist attacks in Israel. Crickets. Because Trump's tweeting, so there you go. Yeah, we got to talk about that. Trump, of course, is playing them. He's not taking any questions about Kellyanne Conway going on a weekend crusade to stop Mitt Romney from being the Secretary of State nominee. Any of the various ethical issues that have come up with his companies and is he going to put him in a blind trust, his refusal to do so up until this point? Like, none of that's being discussed. Just like rarely did we see real issues be be discussed in the election. Because he figured out, if Trump did the rock star equivalent of rattle his zipper, the groupies would arrive backstage on point. And the zipper, in this case, Twitter. If you troll them, they will come. Every time. So, the lout and the liars, they need each other. He's using them. They think they're using him, but really they just can't, they they just, they need him. They can't get away. And they bring out the worst in each other. This is going to be the next four years. Accept it. You cannot change it. It is what it is. This will be the next four years. We're dealing with a situation I saw this morning where Kellyanne was continuing her anti-Romney crusade. Joe Scarborough was on MSNBC 
saying, quote, I got this from top sources at Trump Tower, unquote, that Trump is mad at Kellyanne Conway for what she's doing. And at one point, Scarborough let it slip that he his source was actually Trump. I have a hard time believing a hired gun like Kellyanne Conway believes that she can use the media to corner Donald Trump. See, I think this is all fake. I think it's all pro wrestling astroturf. I think this is all an attempt to humiliate Romney for not backing Trump. I think Kellyanne is doing Trump's bidding. But here's the thing. We're never going to know. So let it go. Accept the things you cannot change. This is how this presidency is going to operate. In my time in politics, which is well over a decade now with a lot of different candidates and campaigns, I have never seen someone govern differently than they campaigned. And I'm not, when I say that, I'm not talking about ideology. I'm talking about practice, function. We saw Barack Obama run largely a messianic campaign in 08, did we not? What kind of presidency did he run? That would be messianic. A messianic presidency. You saw Ronald Reagan run as a happy warrior. That was his methodology. That was the way he campaigned. How did he largely govern? The same. I, I, I can't recall a time someone governed differently than they campaigned. On either side. Bill Clinton's initial foray was r- racked by scandal. What, what was his presidency? Marred by scandal. George W. Bush campaigned as a human malaprompt. It just seemed like a generally earnest guy trying to do the right thing, even if he couldn't even communicate what that was half the time. What was his presidency? What I just said. Tell me who governs differently than they campaign. And I don't mean on the issues. I mean in the way they carry themselves and behave and function. That's the organism, guys. This is who he is. He likes being, Trump likes the court of owls. He likes social media. He likes the trolling. It's his element. It's like a pig in slop. So just embrace it. Or ignore it if you can't embrace it. But I wouldn't fixate on it. Because you're going to need a good cardiologist. This is who he is. Just because we're glad the Marxists are gone does not mean Trump's had a character transplant. There's always going to be this drama. There's always going to be this dysfunction. Just like we saw for a year and a half during the actual campaign. This is what you will see for the next four years. It is clear the media is determined. They, they thought for a day or two. They had people like me on. What did we get wrong? We're right back. They're right back to what they were doing before. Because the dog always returns to its own, its own vomit. All right. So the dog's returning to its own vomit. Trump is a pig in slop. He knows that you hate these people and don't trust them. So he's just going to troll them. He's just going to tweak them to avoid. It's politically smart to avoid as much accountability for his actions in front of the American people as he can and just use them for the foil. They will line up to say, thank you, sir. May I have another? And we're off. 
fire up the 1812 Overture, we're ready to go. This will be the next four years. Just accept it. This will be the least presidential presidency you've ever experienced. By the way, that doesn't mean, by the way, it'll be a bad presidency, though. In the midst of this, I th- you, I, you, will get, you will get some decisions that will be good that you would not have gotten under Hillary Clinton. I think you've seen some of those already. Hold on to those moments. Cling to them. Commemorate them. Erect living stones so like a year later you'll come back to, remember when Trump did that for us? Because the times in between those times, you'll wish you were actually stoned. Listening to Steve Dace. Where nine black robed masters don't get to become their own self appointed constitutional convention. The Steve Day Show. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Well, you would have thought, given the holiday, this would have been a slow weekend. But it was not. There's a ton of weekend news and views to get caught up on. So let's begin, Aaron, with this odd love political love triangle with Kellyanne Conway, Donald Trump, Mitt Romney, who's scheduled to meet with Trump again tomorrow, I believe, right. about the Secretary of State position. Uh, that's This has become a rather convoluted story. Yeah, this is, and this all started with an MSNBC report uh, that was published earlier today, and this is what it said. Two sources at the top of the Donald Trump transition team confirmed to MSNBC that they spoke to the president-elect today that Donald Trump was quote-unquote furious at Kellyanne Conway's comments Sunday suggesting Trump betrayed his supporters by even considering Mitt Romney for a position in his cabinet. The source said, quote, uh, Kellyanne went rogue at Donald Trump's expense at the worst possible time. Trump's top aides say they were baffled by Conway's comments and suggested that it feeds into a growing concern inside the campaign that instead of driving Donald Trump's message, she's pushing her own agenda. The top transition aide also said that it was a dangerous thing. Steve Bannon and Brian Priebus have reportedly been growing frustrated by Conway's failure to become a team player in a transition process where the top players are forming a tight-knit group around the president-elect. Conway, responding to MSNBC via text early on Monday, denied the report, saying, It is all false and sexist. Conway went on to say that her role in the transition, quote, I can have any job I want, may stay outside to take the ploof role and run political operation. Trump wants me by his side, end quote. In fact, she tweeted out just about an hour ago a picture of her in Trump Tower working alongside Donald Trump, as a matter of fact. That was sweet. So, Todd, I've already stated I think this is all a show. I I just, first of all, if you know Kellyanne Conway, and I do, she's a pretty sweet gal. This is out of character. This is out of character. All right. Um, Secondly, I have a hard time believing does, does, does Trump, given 
even best case scenario, his, shall we say, questionable history with women. Does he strike you as the type that will have that that will that because this ninety seven pound Catholic soccer mom named Kelly and Conway went on the Sunday morning talk shows and said people in his base would be upset if he picked Mitt Romney, given how even under the best of scenarios the way Trump has treated and viewed women in the past, does it strike you that that would be that she would be the effective foil to get Trump to change his mind? Because because. I'm not buying that. I I think this is all show Bennett, Snoop Dogg. I think it's all show Bennett. I think this is masterpiece theater. I think this is all pro wrestling. I think it is all a troll. I think it is all uh, Trump attempting to humiliate Romney for the way that Romney went after Trump during the election. And then, yeah, I guess if Trump, maybe if, maybe if Romney comes in tomorrow and blows us away, yeah, maybe we'll do something then, but... Uh, not unless you apologize. I, I think this is all a show. That's probably true. And if so, it is definitely pathetic. And it is why I still... Riveting, yes. yes. Pathetic as well, yes. Demented and sad, but social. And it's why I still keep my uh, shiny Never Trump membership card in my wallet, and I'm willing to flash it For at any time. For times like this, yes. right, Carl? This Don't is, leave home without you it, won right? the You won the election, but does anybody doubt that winning the election for him high on his list was just this kind of swirly alert nonsense? Yes. Commence all festivas. Let the airing of grievances begin. Is that what you are saying? <laughs> yeah, so he, uh, t- the thought of making... Cruz, Romney, whomever, come in, give them the sense that they might get a job, a job that they'd really, really come. I mean, the best job they could possibly dream of after never becoming president. And then just to pull it away from them, you know this guy would relish that. And there was also the reports earlier, and I should add that this MSNBC quote-unquote report, whatever it is, false um, and, and, or now, not. And Scarborough, by the way, who's one of these MSNBC people, mm-hmm. he, like I said, he let it slip earlier today that his source was Trump. <laughs> uh, but anyway, before all this happened, there were reports over the weekend as well that um, the transition team, if uh, Don- if uh, Donald Trump did indeed invite Mitt Romney or offer the gig to Mitt Romney, the transition team wanted uh, Mitt Romney and Donald Trump wanted Mitt Romney to apologize. So that would feed in, if those reports were true as well, that would also feed into what you're saying that, yeah, this is just all theater to humiliate Romney. This It would have been premature to do it before this now, Steve, but I, I, I'm, I would be remiss if I didn't ask now. What is the over and remind me his alter ego's name? John Barron? What is the over-under now on when we see John Barron? (laughs) (laughs) You laugh because you know that's the most serious question I've asked you in quite some time. I mean, General Petraeus, who, when we last heard of him, was starting a gun control group during the presidential election a few months ago and, and went to prison for essentially a variation of what Hillary was accused of, was interviewed today by Mike Pence and Donald Trump yeah. for the position of Secretary of State, yeah. guys. And by the okay. way, who, who's our nominee for Supreme Court, Steve? Who's that? We don't know that we yet, do we? We don't know. No, that because that's just, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that sooner or later. The, this is the important stuff. Yeah, especially what he's tweeting about it. That's that's the real important part of this story. So we have Rudy Giuliani, who has really no qualifications to be Secretary of State. I mean, just none. None exist. None. 
his so we, his name's been in there a lot, mainly by Rudy. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody campaign for. A, <laughs> you ever seen somebody? I'm surprised Rudy hasn't bought the domain Rudy for SOS dot com. I mean, I've never seen anything like that either. You have Mitt Romney, who does have some qualifications. He's an international business. He's got to have international business ties. Ran the Olympic effort in Utah, so of course he's going to have some global ties where that is concerned. Um, but has no, re- he would have no relationship at, at all. I mean, he, had, he, has, there's, he has nothing in common with most of the people other than Reince, I guess. But, I mean, he would be one of these things is not like the other. But that, there could be good to that. That could be Trump saying, hey, this is where we're going to expand beyond just, you know, my personal court of owls. But, and, and he did a little bit of that on Friday with Nikki Haley, for example. And so her and her, Nikki Haley and Romney are buddies. They would work very closely together. So you could see a pairing there. Um, but, of course, we've got this whole thing where the, his, his base is supposedly in revolt. See that as Drudge, Alex Jones, and Breitbart. And, uh, and, and Petraeus? Mr. Gun Control, who went to prison because he could not handle uh, avoiding using pillow talk with a mistress to uh, give away our state secrets? All the best people, Steve. All the best people. Yeah, part of me just really wants to say There's nobody this is, else? Yeah. Nobody else with, with a sane, a pro-American foreign policy? Nobody? There's, there's literally... There's nobody. There's just, there's just nobody else. Nobody? Anywhere? That nobody. Uh, apparently. <laughs> I mean, part of me just wants to say that, well, he knows what he's doing. He's just throwing out all these smoke and mirrors. But like you said in the opening segment, this type of stuff is just how it's going to be. When we come back, they said it couldn't be done, but one person's going to try it. Next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Making all the right enemies, Steve Dace. Quick uh, correction, Petraeus, I, I should have said, narrowly avoided prison. I think he plea bargained it down to a misdemeanor. And I think they, the, the, the prosecution agreed to this, if memory serves, because... The uh, ne- the classified info we shared via Pillow Talk never went public, so they agreed to avoid prison time. But still, help me to understand why a guy who almost went to prison for his handling of classified info should be Secretary of State, and there's literally nobody else better. I just I I I, I don't understand that. Does it? But let's get to some good news. You know, they said it couldn't be done, Aaron. They said no one could possibly ever out-scam pack Ben Carson. They said it wasn't possible. Was, that's just not a realistic goal to out-scam the Ben Carson presidential campaign. That it will henceforth be known as the scam pack that all scam packs are measured by. Yep. That they made scam packs great again in America. Because it's not a scam if you believe it, Steve. Indeed. But alas, our friends on the left, they're going to give it a go. Jill Stein and Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. have decided to essentially team up for the scammiest of scam packs. 
And I'm completely going to bury the lead here and tell you how much um, this uh, scam pack is is going to be worth. But I will catch you up on what's actually going on here. Nearly now three weeks uh, after Election Day, Hillary Clinton's campaign said over the weekend it would participate in a recount process in Wisconsin. And the Wisconsin Elections Commission agreed today to begin a recount of the presidential election on Thursday. But that wasn't good enough because Green Party candidate Jill Stein sued the agency again after they said they wouldn't require all county officials to recount the votes by hand. So it's going to be a race against time to meet a daunting federal uh, deadline. And under state law, the recount has to begin this week as long as Stein or another candidate pays the $3.5 million estimated to cost the state to do a recount. Also Monday, Stein filed a lawsuit in Pennsylvania to force a recount there and also plans to ask for a recount in Michigan by Wednesday. Donald Trump, of course, tweeted his opposition to the news, saying, quote, in addition to winning the Electoral College in a landslide, I won the popular vote. If you deduct the millions of people who voted illegally... But that's another can of worms. Under the plan adopted on Monday, the Wisconsin recount would begin Thursday, provided Stein pay the $3.5 million by Tuesday. You want to know how much money in less than a week that Jill Stein has been able to raise for this recount effort? You want last to know? I saw it was $7 million. You want, Last I saw, it was 6.5. Would not surprise me. And at that rate, 7 million would not surprise me either. So I think you are absolutely apt. I think there's you a are lot of dumb right. people out there that clearly aren't paying enough in taxes. Based Making on that. scam packs great again. The Green Party's Jill Stein. Did you guys know Trump's margin in Pennsylvania is greater than Hillary's margin? I think in New Hampshire, Virginia, and one other state combined. Okay? This is a waste of everybody's time. And they know this. It is a scam pack. This is being this is this is the left's equivalent of fake the fake Tea Party groups that sprouted up after the real Tea Party movement with their fake Give us $20 so Congress will impeach Obama and all that stuff that we saw, right? Where people just made huge money off the Tea Party movement as a total astroturf scam packs. This, Todd, and the whole Electoral College thing that we discussed before, these are complete and total political scams. There is zero hope, zero odds of them being successful. These are just shakedowns. Of course, this is... Beautiful. Trump, of course, though, indirectly gives credence because in an election he won, he's saying there was... All right, let me talk about that for a second. Have you ever seen the scene in The Simpsons <laughs> where Homer hits on 21 at the blackjack table? You ever seen that scene? It's a classic. Homer, hit, Homer gets 21, turns it over, hit me. <laughs> that is Trump questioning the legitimacy of an election that he won. Of an election that he won. And then the media, in turn, rips on him for, he, 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 for yeah, saying... He rattles his yes, zipper. They see? come hither. There yeah. we go. So the, 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 rock star, there. the rock star finishes his set. 
goes backstage, rattles the zipper, the groupie shows up accordingly. Uh, yes. Yeah, and and they dismiss him for having no proof while while giving credence in some circles to what Jill Stein is doing. And then there's Hillary, by the way, somehow nebulously involved in this and saying reports today, hey, 2020 isn't so far out of reach. It's a fun little merry-go-round we live on, don't by the way, fueled uh, by acid. Jason Miller, who I used to work with a lot when he was with Cruz in the primary, who's on Trump's communications team, was just on Megyn Kelly a few minutes ago and told her that uh, Trump okayed Kellyanne's bashing of Mitt Romney beforehand. What? <laughs> I'm not making that up. He said that Trump okayed her going out there beforehand. Yeah, cue the yakety sax, everybody. If you're Mitt Romney, why would you go to this meeting tomorrow? <laughs> There's no good answer to that. <laughs> it's pathetic. No. No, there's not. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. promise you'd like him he just promised to tell you the truth this is steve dace all right more weekend news and views here on the steve dace show on the salem radio network powered by conservative review and aaron fidel castro has now assumed room temperature That is correct. Fidel Castro died Friday at the age of 90. The Cuban communist dictator rose to power during the Cuban Revolution, toppling Fulgencio Batista's regime in 1959 alongside his brother Raul and another, Che Guevara. He then uh, transformed the nation into a single-party communist state and installed himself as a dictator. In recent years, Castro has largely retreated from the public eye, rarely appearing in public since relinquishing power to his brother Raul in 2008. Because of his age, Castro's death didn't exactly come as a surprise, but some of the reaction to this news, well, it should be surprising. According to the Cuba Archive, a nonprofit devoted to keeping tabs and publicizing human rights violations at the hands of Cuba's dictatorship, 78,000 innocents have died trying to flee slavery under Castro. 5,300 peasants, farmers, and their children in the uh, mountains and the Bay of Pigs. 14,000 in Fidel's uh, escapades abroad. 5,600 dissidents in front of firing squads. 1,200 in extrajudicial assassinations and 20, or uh, nearly uh, 2,200 documented political prison deaths. All told, it's around 100,000, if not more, on the conservative end of those who lost their lives under his dictatorship, which is why this reaction from the left in this country and really around the world is, or at least should be, so troubling. Starting with a statement from Justin Trudeau, Canada's uh, prime minister, who said, It's with deep sorrow that I learned today of the death of Cuba's longest-serving president. Fidel Castro was a larger-than-life leader who served his people for almost a half-century. A legendary revolutionary and orator, 
Mr. Castro made significant improvements to the education and health care of his island nation. While a controversial figure, both Mr. Castro's supporters and detractors recognized his tremendous dedication and love for the Cuban people. He went on to call Castro a friend of his father's. And there's the state. What, what did Rubio say about uh, Trudeau's statement that this this had to be a troll? This couldn't be serious. That's unbelievable. Continue, Aaron. Uh, you, yeah, there's there's more of this. Um, there's the statement from Jeremy Corbyn, who's a big deal in the United Kingdom. He's the leader of their Labour Party. He said, Fidel Castro's death marks the passing of a huge figure of modern history, national independence, and 20th century socialism. From building a world-class health and education system to Cuba's record of <laughs> international solidarity abroad, Castro's achievements were many. For all of his flaws, Castro's support for Angola played a crucial role in bringing an end to the apartheid in South Africa, and he will be remembered as both an internationalist and a champion of social justice. Then there was this from our own former U.S. President Jimmy Carter, who said, Rosalind and I share our sympathies with the Castro family. Well, has there ever been a despot Jimmy Carter didn't love? Can you think of one? That's before my time. I'm sorry. Finish your thought. That's uh, uh, Jimmy Carter's thought. Or finish thought. his thought. Yeah. Uh, share, he says, uh, Rosalind and I share our sympathies with the Castro family and the Cuban people on the death of Fidel Castro. We remember fondly our visits with him in Cuba and his love of his country. You want to know what Jesse Jackson tweeted? No. No. In, in many ways, after 1959, the oppressed the world over joined Castro's cause of fighting for freedom and liberation. He changed the world. Rest in peace. Then there were major media outlets like the Washington Post who wrote headlines like Fidel Castro, revolutionary leader who remade Cuba as socialist state, dies at 90. The authors then go on to paint a rosy picture of Castro and his rise to power. There are other headlines and stories, and these are not op-eds from the ABC News uh, saying Fidel Castro clung to socialism mentored new leftists. I don't know about you, Steve, but right waking up on a Saturday morning to this news, I probably shouldn't have been surprised, but uh, it seems, I don't know, a little bit surprising that there was so much of this type of reaction. What is it that you like to say, Todd? Journalism is magical and not at all broken, right? If, if When we say on this show, no one is more responsible for the election of Donald Trump than the media. What you just heard is what we're talking about. Hillary Clinton won fewer than 500 counties, parishes, and boroughs nationwide. There's well over 3,100. She won less than 15% of them. The Democrats are not a national party, folks. But these people are so sanctimonious. They are everything they accuse you of being. Narrow-minded, bigoted, intolerant of other views. That they just say these things aloud. In, in public. And can't understand the backlash. There's a lot of people who live in places like Florida in Texas who came here from Cuba for a reason 
And it wasn't because they just didn't want to live in a place where, Todd, their health care and education system was the envy of the world. It's like those guys who swim across the English Channel, Steve. They just wanted to see if they could do it. It's right. sporting. Right. I, I just wanted to see, you know, I, they wanted to confirm the rumors of America's civ-like border for themselves. They're scientists, Steve. Yes, they're explorers, really. Yes. I mean, but but this is this is the this is the cognitive dissonance. This is the alternative reality that yes. leftists live in, Todd. That's important language. You remember Black Hawk Down, uh, Somalia? The, the the warriors there. They had they kept themselves ginned up all the time by chewing some sort of weed that kept them in sort of some perpetual high. That is what self loathing is for the group of people we are talking about. It allows them to have these out of body experiences that you just described. And when they have those, it allows them to say and do remarkable things up to the point of Castro where you become a tyrant. There is a tyrant in the heart of every progressive by definition and it is chilling which is why we need to put a brakes on it right now in this country. When we come back, one member, one liberal media member got it exactly right. We're going to talk about him when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace. truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help us god the steve day show what is this winter wonderland never again walking in a winter wonderland Back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by the conserv- powered by Conservative Review. If I don't know a Christmas song in three notes or less, we don't play name that. He's too. a harsh mistress, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, the whole having no idea what bumper is going to uh, be acceptable. Yeah. Well, we'll get it. We'll get there. We might Steve. just have to learn the hard way. Well, yeah, we'll get there. Chances are your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your values. That's why we created Patriot Mobile, to give conservatives like you a chance to put your money where your values are and support a company that you know you can trust to invest your valuable resources into your values. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talking and texting, high-speed 4G LTE data at competitive prices, and... They'll donate up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization of your choice. That means you're going to get the same quality service, the latest and greatest phones, competitive prices, but for the causes that you believe in. So go to PatriotMobile.com. That's PatriotMobile.com or call 1-800-A-PATRIOT. That's 1-800-A-PATRIOT. And when you decide to make the switch, use the promo code Steve to get the $35 activation fee waived on up to two phones. Todd, you remember Jeff Greenfield when we were kids? I do. Yeah, the old Bobby Kennedy speechwriter, and he was one of the top political reporters at ABC News when we were growing up, went on to CNN. Very funny, witty, smart guy, but classic liberal media guy. He was watching all this fawning coverage of Fidel Castro over the weekend. And of course, by being Bobby Kennedy's former speechwriter, he would be well acquainted with Castro and his zany hijinks and what he's really capable of. 
And he, he tweeted out a few things about this. If I could summarize, he essentially said, so let me get this straight. There's nowhere else on earth, my fellow liberals, where government has provided health care and education for people without imprisoning tens of thousands, imprisoning and murdering tens of thousands of people at the exact same time. Seems like it's kind of a false choice to me. Yeah. Yeah. But see, that's, that is the difference. You, we, we, we've talked before on the show that there's liberals and then there are leftists. That is the difference between liberals and leftists. Greenfield, I think, 75 years old now. Comes out of the Kennedy era. He's a liberal. But those people fought the communists. When he, when, he was breaking into, when he was breaking into politics, they fought these guys. Now they are these guys. Hour two is next. Listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back here with Hour 2 here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Coming up later on, my good buddy Chip Roy used to be chief of staff for Senator Ted Cruz, the former assistant attorney general for Texas. He's now with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. He wants to make the case why federalism might be the way to reverse some of the polarization in America. So we'll talk about that in hour number three. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. So tell us. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Bob Vanderplatz here. He will be with us, though, for hour number two, our good friend from the Family Leader. And it's good to have you back, Bob. How are you? Great to be back. Had a great Thanksgiving. How about you? Did, too. I had a really good Thanksgiving. Had a good time. Had our first fried turkey. One of our listeners made it for fried us. Fried turkey. Yeah, wow. Lived up to the hype. It is that right? It, it was really good. It good. was really good. So you just had a random listener say, hey, I'll make you a fried turkey. Well, I've, and- I've, I've lamented on the on the air for years. My Amy won't let me do it um, because she's convinced. I mean, I'm, I'm going to shoot my eye out. She thinks I'm going to burn the house down. <laughs> so... One of our listeners stepped forward and says, hey, you know, I, I do it at my house. I live close to you. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll happily do it for you. So drove over there, dropped, gave it to him about a week before Thanksgiving, dropped it off, and then went over there on Thanksgiving Day after the Lions won, drove over there, picked after it up. After the Lions won, yeah. ding, ding, on and, the Vikings. And it was, it, was, it was really good. It was really good. Uh, All right, so where to begin? In fact, I, I want to begin with where I began the show tonight. So I, I gave our audience an analogy. Um, and it's the story of the binging rock star and his junkie groupie. And they know they're bad for each other, right? And whenever they get together, this is how it always ends. They're both naked in a seedy hotel, full ashtrays, 
half-drank liquor bottles, and dirty needles everywhere. They know they bring out the worst in each other, but they can't stay away. That is my... Sounds like a really bad movie, by the way. Well, and it sounds like the relationship between Donald Trump and the media. Where... They need him like we need oxygen to breathe. They they just they can't stay away. It's like a fly on a turd, a fly on stink. They can't they can't not buzz it. They have to have it. He knows this, and he's using and it. He, and, and he knows that it doesn't bring out the best in him. But they but he also knows he can use it to his advantage because it avoids scrutiny with all these other subjects out there. And we, he he used it to his advantage in the campaign as well. And it's clear they're bad for each other. They bring out the worst in each other, but they have this symbiotic, dysfunctional, parasitic relationship. And I think we've, we, I think we reached a whole new level this weekend with Kellyanne Conway's one-woman crusade against picking Romney for Secretary of State. And Romney's going back to meet with Trump apparently again tomorrow. Now, Jason Miller, whom you and I both know as mm-hmm. well, was on Megyn Kelly about an hour ago saying that Trump okayed Kellyanne Conway and her bashing of Romney ahead of time. I never bought this story that Joe Scarborough was peddling this morning on MSNBC, where he let it slip that Trump was actually his source when he originally claimed he had a source at Trump Tower and then later on said, well, I got this from Trump himself. Okay, this idea that he was mad at what she was doing. I mean, best case scenario, Trump's views of women are complicated. You think that's fair? If it's a Facebook status, yeah, yes. Yeah, that's, that's the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. So this idea that's 110-pound, ch- nice, as, nice can, as can be Catholic soccer mom named Kellyanne Conway is going to back Donald Trump into a corner somewhere. Were you ever buying this? Because I was never buying this. Were you buying this? Well, Kellyanne I mean, is... I, was, a, this is, I mean, the only thing left was for Bobby the Brain Heenan to throw a foreign mm-hmm. object into the ring. This is all scripted. This is masterpiece mm-hmm. theater, Bob. Yeah. Come on. Well, well first of all, Kellyanne and, and you and I, we, we have a lot of respect for Kellyanne. Sure. And she is somebody, and I, I thought that right away when, when Trump brought her onto the campaign, she is somebody who can say in a very nice way, here's what you need to do, and doggone it, you better do it. So I actually wasn't all that surprised that Kellyanne Conway would be on national TV and having the back of the base and saying the base is saying this. Now, I understand what you're saying about Romney, Romney, not only diss Trump in the campaign, was openly hostile towards Trump in the campaign. And now Romney is coming to Trump. You know, basically on bended knee to Trump and Kellyanne saying, wait a minute, look what the base is saying. Because I read one article today said, you know, you know, this whole idea about draining the swamp. Romney is the Romney is the swamp. Don't because 2016 is 2016. Sure. Y'all are going to put me in the who might have done more to cost Mitt Romney to Iowa caucuses than any carbon-based life form living currently on this earth. And you seem to relish in that. Okay. <laughs> really y'all, good. Y'all, y'all finna put me in the position of defending the guy, okay? Uh-huh. But when the other two people that have been talked about are Rudy Giuliani, who we don't really know how serious of a candidate he is other than in his own mind, because mm-hmm. he's campaigning for it. He has zero qualifications for this. And today, Pence and Trump interviewed Daniel Petraeus. 
The last time we heard of General Petraeus, he was he was founding a gun control group during the campaign. And the previous time, he narrowly avoided prison because of pillow talk with his mistress that included classified material. I thought we just had an election say, where we thought we're, it was a bad idea to have a secretary of state who mishandled classified material. And that's and that's who Trump and Pence interviewed for the job today. Now, if, if we're going to do the whole lesser of two evils thing. If these are the only three options, and by the way, can you tell me why those are your only three options? I was going to say, that's the first thing. Those should not be your only three options. I understand what you're saying. Hey, Romney, first of all, he looks the part. All these people he, wanted to be president of the United a, States four he, years ago. Newt, Newt was on my show in the general election. A week. Steve, if you don't support him more, we're going to lose, and the whole country's over, Steve. If Romney doesn't win, it's all, it's over. Over. <laughs> America's over. We're going to be China. That's what we're going to be. Well, over, it's China. That, it's done. And now all of a sudden he can't, he's just, he's too bad to be Secretary of State. Listen, guy ran the Olympics, saved the, the Utah Olympics, is probably the best part sure. of his entire resume. He happened to run an international uh, venture capitalist firm. If, if you're stacking up, now, he wouldn't be my choice either. But if, if the other two options are Rudy Giuliani with ethics problems of, of plenty, including ties to Iran, and the guy who nearly went to prison for mishandling classified info? Come on now. Well, well, the first do you thing, smell what the rock is cooking, Bob? Uh, I, I do smell it. And when I heard about Petraeus today, the first thing that went through my mind is the thing that you brought out already. We just had this argument in this campaign about classified information, and the American people were outraged at the mishandling of classified information. Matter of fact, that's where the chance came from. Lock her up, lock her up, lock her up. I really believe there's got to be somebody flying under the radar. I think I believe I said it on your show before, Steve. The person I would look at for Secretary of State is Rick Santorum. Rick Santorum in every one of our forms, every one, bar none, was head and shoulders above the field when it came to foreign policy issues. He's he's young. He's he's diplomatic. He's loyal. He's a very good guy. Now, is he going to have a shot at it? I don't know. But what you're saying is if our only options are Romney, Giuliani and Petraeus. Now, all of a sudden, you start making an argument for Romney versus dissing Romney. Sure, I, I also think the I, I think Santorum is eminently more qualified for this position than any of the names that you mentioned. I completely would support you on that. I think he's also, from a personality trait standpoint, I think the things about Santorum that limited him as a candidate, um, the Hugh Beaumont Act, the sweater vests, the goody two shoe stuff. I think as him being the face of our face to the world in contrast to we'll call it how about mercurial we're going to come up with we're going to expand our our vocabulary do you like mercurial go ahead mercurial for, for the mercurial president that we're about to have I think I think actually those sort of things that were seen as kind of boring and kind of lame and vanilla I think that's actually a pretty nice contrast uh, I think I think I think when the contrast to Trump is made to Trump, suddenly those looks like those things don't go. They go from boring to steady. They go from lame to res, to resolute. You know what I'm saying? You know, Steve. But there are things that because I went to Israel with Rick Santorum in 2014 and sat with Netanyahu, his right hand man, with Santorum in the room, and seeing Santorum way more than hold his own on foreign policy, on Israel, on the Palestinian state, on those types of things, and the guy looking at us and say, this guy gets it. That, to me, says a lot. Now, are they going to look to Rick Santorum? I don't know. But on the other hand, with Kellyanne Conway, let me have her back for just a second. 
being the campaign manager and getting the base to come out in record numbers, especially the faith base to come out in record numbers, there, there's also a responsibility you have as a campaign manager to say, I'm going to have your back. And if I'm hearing all this from, from the base, I'm going to let Mr. Trump know about I don't know if it's in the public venue yeah, the way see, it I is. I agree with you on that. The public stuff, that's why it was all con- it was all orchestrated. She's not going to go out there and undermine Donald Trump like that. I mean, come on. He's the president-elect. Yeah, she's, he's the president-elect. That's why you knew this whole thing was Masterpiece Theater. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Politics is a contact sport. The Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. Here on the Salem Radio Network, Bob Vanderplotz joins us from the family leader here in his regular time slot. And Bob, uh, one of the things that uh, that you have done in the past is leadership consulting. Mm-hmm. And something that uh, you and I have talked a lot about on this show uh, that that we have been concerned about um, during the course of this election has been the way the faith has been modeled, has been presented to the culture at large, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's not always been... Um, uh, it, it, it's not always been with its best face forward. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. I want to read something to you. Last week, two women who reported being gang raped by Baylor football players reached a settlement with the school, which has been hammered for months uh, of cri- hammered by months for criticism that it ignored or mishandled assault claims for years. Terms of the settlement not disclosed. Baylor, of course, is the largest Baptist university in the world. The settlements were the latest development in a scandal that has rocked Baylor University, an investigation by the law firm Pepper Hamilton, which was hired by Baylor to do a self-audit, found that the school mishandled assault claims for years. Football coach Art Bryles was fired. School president Ken Starr demoted, eventually left. Athletic director Ian McCaw resigned. The report, which was submitted to Baylor's regents, found that 17 women, that's one seven, Bob, Mm -hmm. 17 women had reported domestic violence or sexual assaults involving 19 football players just since 2011. So this is from, from 2011 to 2015, four years. These reports included, Bob, four gang rapes. Four. Ian McCaw today, the athletic director who ran Baylor and oversaw its athletic department during this scandal, was announced as the athletic director at Liberty University, the largest evangelical institution in the United States. And I had to sit there today and watch on Twitter as a bunch of liberal sports writers. And if you think the liberal mainstream media is bad, the liberal sports media is even worse. Think of all the liberal, twice the dumb 
because they're not nearly as informed mm-hmm. as the news media is. So they're just, this is just all, you know, rat, pack jumpers. So I'll just, hey, notice me. I, take me seriously. I know something other than the box score. So I mean, this is, this is, this is the stuff that gets, I mean, these guys put on Twitter the stuff that Vox and Salon delete from their comments section and they think it's smart. Okay. I mean, these people are just dumb. And because they work in the sports media, they don't even have to pretend to tolerate people like you and I that even the mainstream media would because they still need to get quotes from us in certain situations and at least pretend to be objective in certain cases. I just sit there and watch them today mock, question how the largest evangelical university in the world could reward this individual who just resigned a few months ago. There's been, has, what, what, rep, what repentance has been made? What restitution has been paid? You know, there's a, rest, there's a process of restoration within Christian theology that includes those two facets. We all would agree on that, right? Mm-hmm. There's no evidence any of those things have been performed at all. And you would think the process for performing such things given the heinousness of these charges. I mean, this is the biggest moral failing by by a university's athletic department, not called Penn State, of all time. You would think it might take more than five and a half months, don't you think? I, I think it might take longer than that, don't you think? Yeah, so would I. And I had to watch the scorners and the mockers of our faith on social media today call out Chris and Christianity for this. And I've heard practically nothing from our side of the aisle, our people about it at all. I understand Jerry Falwell Jr. is a big name. I understand Liberty University is a big name. It's a great school. But are we so concerned with getting our phone calls returned, getting asked to speak at the convocation, getting our movies and our, and our, and our documentaries screened there for the student body? Are we so concerned about that that we say nothing about this? Now, you don't have any daughters. Todd, you and I, between the two of us, have six. What do you feel about sending your daughter right now to Liberty University, Todd? There's going to be no conversation about that other than no. Is that an unreasonable position, Bob? Am I being unreasonable? I I don't think you're being unreasonable at all. As a matter of fact, I think there's a lot of questions. And... And frankly, I don't know a lot about this. I do know a lot. About, I don't know a lot about Baylor University, but I know quite a bit about what's been reported about Baylor University and what you just read about seventeen assaults and rapes and gang rapes by football players. This is one of the biggest, according to the university's own audit of themselves. This is their audit. This isn't yes. some outside group saying, "Hey, we disagree with that report." This is their own audit saying it's been mishandled for years. So I understand all that. What I don't know is what what was the AD's, I mean, in that audit scenario, what was the AD's role in this deal? Did he actually file it up the chain or did he not file it up the chain? I don't know that. That's why he was that, – that, that is what the audit found is that the entire system broke down. They did not do Title IX compliance, which is under federal sure. purview. That's why all these people lost their jobs. So my thing would be, especially if you're if you're President Falwell at Liberty University, if you're the board of directors at Liberty University, before you make a hire like this, which they did, I didn't see the press conference. I didn't see the announcement. I didn't see the written statement about you know having this because I think 
when you're taking an, an AD from Baylor University, bring them to Liberty University, as you said, the largest evangelical university in the entire, not just the country, but I believe it's the entire world. On this planet, yes. Is that some clarification has to be made. Because Liberty University, I've been to Liberty University. It's a big and it's a beautiful campus. But i got to believe sexual assault is a big issue there as well, meaning there's a high bar or there's a high bar of standard for that. And when you're bringing in an athletic director from Baylor University where this has been a system collapse, there has to be some answers. You have to pregame this, so to speak, if you're going to bring him into your university. Does, isn't, is, there, is there any responsibility for the appearance of impropriety at all? You know what I'm trying to say? I mean, is, this, is, there, be, is, 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 is that an unfair standard or not? I, I don't know. But I'm just trying to think of what is... No one stopped and thought, guys, uh, yeah, have, you, have we thought this one my, through? My guess is, and that's, that's what I'm, I'm thinking about, Steve, because Liberty University, I mean, yes, Jerry Falwell's the president, but I've got to believe there's more than just one visit with Jerry Falwell and, hey, Austin, you're the AD. I've got to believe there's a search committee involved. I've got to believe there's a board, there's a panel, there's committees, there's a student committee. There's a lot of things that this person would have had to jump through the hoops. But to me, when you're going to make that announcement, that is where you need to front load that announcement in regards to all your research and why you believe this one's still the the best person for the position. I don't know that. I'm going to have a follow-up on this conversation here in just a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. has not yet begun to offend. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network, Bob Vanderplatz. I'm looking at a story dated November 3rd from Mark Schlebaugh, who is one of the one of the bright spots at ESPN. And following him on Twitter, he might be like the only outspoken conservative i'm sure he's not the only conservative that works there but he seems to be about the only one that actually is outspoken about it <laughs> and hasn't say. been fined yet or yeah, fired yes, yes here's a headline of a story that he wrote this is november 3 on november 3rd just a few weeks ago former baylor title nine coordinator ian mccaw sought immunity for football players former baylor title nine coordinator patty crawford said wednesday Ex-Bears athletic director Ian McCaw asked her for immunity for the school's football players when she started investigating allegations of sexual assault at the school. Crawford, who was hired as Baylor's first full-time Title IX coordinator in 2014, McCaw began as the AD at Baylor in 2003. So 11 years. 11 years. Said she learned details of a gang rape involving Bears football players that allegedly occurred in 2012 and a dating violence allegation against another player in 2013. There were things in the first nine months that I noticed that were very concerning to me, Crawford said. I went directly to my boss, who would be McCaw, and said there could be cultural issues that I need to investigate. He said, yes, go ahead. I'm sorry, that was actually the university vice president was her boss. 
Crawford said that he it was her supervisor and Baylor's vice president of governance and risk and chief compliance appliance officer who informed former Baylor Board of Regents chairman Richard Willis about the allegations against the players. She said she was then called into an emergency meeting with McCaw. As well as the senior vice president of the school and the associate general counsel on February 4th, 2015. I don't know anything about athletic culture or anything, Crawford said. Instead of helping me, he went and told his boss, who then called the Board of Regents chairman, and then he called Reagan Ramsower, and they called me into this emergency meeting on February 4th. During the meeting, Crawford said she told the men that she needed to investigate the gang rape allegations and the dating violence allegation against another player. The athletic director asked if I could give immunity to the football players that were still at the university, Crawford said. That athletic director, Ian McCaw, hired today at Liberty. I looked around the room and everyone had their heads down. I said, no, I don't know if they were an accomplice. I don't know if they were part of what went on here. Not to mention, why would they need to be immunity if they didn't do do anything anything wrong? Crawford said she refused to give the Baylor players immunity and told McCaw and the others that she didn't even have a Title IX policy in place because she had just started the job in the last few months. She said, I think, it w- I think it was clear that they didn't like the fact this information had come to my attention so quickly during my tenure at the university. Now, some other participants in this meeting told 60 Minutes Sports that Crawford was not asked to give immunity to a football player anywhere else at Baylor. Rather, that she was asked as a matter of policy and procedure, does the Title IX office, could it offer immunity to a player who might have knowledge of an incident? So, they are claiming she was asked this hypothetically, not given a direct request. Seems sort of like semantics to me. Doesn't it seem like this to you? Now, McCaw says that Mrs. Cra- Miss Crawford's statements about me in the CSPN story are false and goes on to say, I was just asking, could that happen? I did not ask for anything specific. Here's the thing. It's not like we don't have cases like what happened at Duke or in other places where these things are wrong and false allegations are made. And there is a proverb that says one man's story seems true until you hear the other side. But this story was dated November the 3rd of this year, just a few weeks ago. It's November 28th. Do you think Liberty University gentlemen in 25 days could have accurately deduced the veracity of this claim? Well, first of all, I don't think Baylor has got it all figured. I I don't think they have it finalized yet. Right. And so, so, how, so how could Liberty University get to the bottom yeah. of it? So, Steve, that, that's the question I have. And so what I, I would do is I'd lead with questions. One is, uh, so you went through a lot of different committees. I got to believe President Falwell is not the only one saying, here's my stamp of approval, although he's the one who's going to take the questions on it. Why? Because he's the president of the university, and you're bringing on an AD from Baylor, not a Liberty University. The other question I'd have, just outside looking in, because I was not part of any internal process at Liberty, as neither of, none of us were. But I'd ask, what, what's the upside? What is the recruiting upside for athletes? What is the recruiting upside for students? What's the image upside for Liberty University? But more than that, what is the standard to the name that we bear? What's the upside to that? I know you wanted to say something about this, Todd. Let's do that when we come back. All right, more in a moment.
listening to Steve Dace. Putting the fun back in fundamentalist, the Steve Day Show. All right, Todd, you wanted to say something about this um, Ian McCaw, who was the disgraced athletic director at Baylor with their sex assault scandal getting hired today at Liberty? Well, in general, there's just a dark side to the persecution that the church, a boomerang effect that the church has been facing the last eight years of Christian persecution, is that we, in turn, have become very smug and undiscerning and corrupt and oftentimes wicked in turn. And listen, we've all seen this face-to-face with what just happened with electing Donald Trump, Trump, and we excuse it all that we're not those people. So that justifies whatever we do. We're not supposed to be comparing ourselves to those people. We're supposed to be perfect as he is perfect. We're supposed to be comparing ourselves to God. This is how this happens. And it's not unique to Liberty University. I've got my own Catholic examples. But our bar has just been set so low, Steve. And we proudly look at each other and pat ourselves on the back and look, we're not like those uh, people in Nineveh. That's a great point. And, and, you know, Bob, you talked about during and after the election, people voting for an outcome. And no matter how much they were uncomfortable with Trump, with the with the idea of President Trump, they just voted for the outcome of we can't afford four more years of this. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that was kind of your take on it. This is a ministry. This isn't a binary choice. But, they, but, yeah. they, you mean to tell me we were just lamenting 20 minutes ago that you mean to tell me. In in the entire right of center, uh, you know, lexicon, um, pantheon, that the only three pro-America foreign policy people Trump could pick are a progressive in Rudy Giuliani with numerous questionable ethical ties, Mitt Romney, who a lot of people in the base didn't like when he was running for president four Mm -hmm. years ago, and... Daniel Petraeus, who when we last heard from him, was starting a gun control group and nearly went to prison for mishandling of classified info. There's, there, there literally could not be anybody else that could be picked. The, the number one leading evangelical university in the world cannot find another capable athletic director anywhere other that- than the guy that oversaw... One of the worst acts of moral malfeasance by a university athletic department of all time. You know, that's why I think there's just a lot of questions. I mean, because none of us were in in the process because on the outside, to me, I don't see any upside for the university. I don't see any upside for the for the athletic program. That is a beautiful campus, which you would think they would have, you know, basically their say on who do they want to be a D at that university. And so those are questions, I guarantee you, Steve, that aren't going to end with this radio program. I got to believe there's a lot of Liberty alumni, probably even a lot of Liberty students, who are seeing the same stuff you're seeing, uh, whether it be on Twitter or on Facebook or on the, they're, they're doing their own research. And here comes more questions. And we're going to have to see how do they respond to these questions. Because right now, yeah, honestly, I, I don't see, especially what you come out and you say November 3, this was, this was written. I really believe Baylor has not closed the books on what has happened at Baylor University. 
I think there's a lot of things still dangling out there. And to say, but now we're going to bring Baylor into our university, an esteemed university, that leads to a lot of questions. The way Mr. McCaw handled this as the head of the athletic department has decimated their football program. Um, They've lost essentially two full recruiting classes now. When they hire a new coach here any day now, I mean, he's looking at an SMU post-death penalty almost kind of rebuild. Mm. Where you're talking about 50, 60 scholarship players, which, you know, when the limit's 85, that means you're down an entire class. And you're not going to just rebuild because you can only sign a certain amount every year. So you can't sign 50 recruits in one year or 40 recruits in one year. You know, not even in the SEC where they let you oversign, can you, can you do that? So this is going to be a multi-year process just to build their numbers up in order to become competitive. And, and, and here's why I'm spending so much time on this. You know, a lot of us are going to get rightfully indignant. And, and it's not as bad as it was 7, 8, 9, 10 years ago. But there's still a, a, a sector of the culture that wants to de-Christmas Christmas. Mm-hmm. And we're going to wear our pins, put Christ back in Christmas and everything else. Why? I mean, wh- why should we expect pagans, secularists, progressives, Marxists, why should that we demand that they acknowledge a standard we do not? Why should we demand they live by a creed we will not? Why? For what? To what end? To what? To what end? This is this is the standard we put forth to the rest of the country. This is this is who we are. And I believe we give the moral high ground to the mockers and the scorners of our belief system. I think that's where Todd is saying there has to be a higher standard. Our standard is not, okay, what, what happens to be the current bar? You know, God sets the bar. That's what we say, think bigger all, all the time. The other thing, though, Steve, because no, I do not have daughters, but I have a ton of nieces. And one of the things when you're looking at college campuses, you want to know what is the culture of the college campus. And one of the big things that parents look at today, what what's going on with the, the sexual assaults, the just the rampant sex on campus because they're putting their daughters there. And even for me, you're putting your sons there. That's a big issue today. Every college from a university like the University of Iowa or like Penn State or Texas or whatever it is, or Baylor or Liberty, Northwestern College, a Division II school, they are looking at this issue to show that they have the highest of standards and the highest of expectations on their universities. That's why I think there's questions, and questions, I'm sure, have got to get answered in the coming days. You remember the uh, the original Roy Moore Ten Commandments uh, yes, battle? Yes, I do. Okay, and I wrote about that today for Conservative Review, why, why I don't believe Bill Pryor in Alabama, uh, whose name is mentioned a lot, is a potential Trump Supreme Court justice appointee in place of Scalia. He's the guy that went after Judge Roy mm-hmm. Moore. I, I, don't, I think we we got to do better than that. I, I think you guys... Voted for something. I, I think you, you've got to trade a Scalia for a Scalia. He might be a John Roberts. You can't trade John Roberts for a Scalia. Mm-hmm. There needs to be somebody there who's. You agree with me on this? I, I, that their I totally philosophy agree. is is well known and vetted. Correct. I totally agree. And I think it's the philosophy. But I think the other part of it, it's well known and it's vetted by the American people. Now the reason I bring this up is because something that happened to me when that controversy was going on that I think plays into this conversation. I want to talk about that when we come back.
listening to Steve Dace. Radio's version of the Red Pill. You take the Red Pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. It's Steve Dace. All right, so Bob Vanderplatz, here's why I brought up a few minutes ago Judge Roy Moore, Bill Pryor. I was uh, I was driving to work in my sports talk radio days uh, when that battle was going on, and I remember being all fired up about it. And you know, and you know, I, I, you know how much I adore Judge Roy Moore. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to the late Adrian Rogers on my radio in my car driving to my old sports talk radio show one day when this is all going on and uh adrian rogers is giving in this in the middle of it he's giving a message about why would we expect the world to live to a standard that we're not willing to and he brought up the ten commandments battle and how much he admired judge roy moore and thought he was doing the right thing and and then he stopped and he said you know how many of you have come up to me or sent me emails or, you know, said to me at church how fired up you are about this. I just got a question for y'all. How many of y'all have the Ten Commandments posted at your own home? Because mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, I mean, you know, y'all all, all worked up about whether they got the Ten Commandments posted at the Alabama State Supreme Court building. Do you just want the public display? Yeah, or? yeah. how many got them posted in your own home? Or is this internalized? Yeah, how many of your kids know what those Ten Commandments say? And I kid you not, I'm driving down the road, and the minute I hear this, I felt like somebody had literally just kicked me in the sole with a steel toe boot. I grabbed the cell phone. You called Amy. Yep. Back in the this is even pre BlackBerry day, so I'm like, I'm still rolling the flip phone, man. I'm flipping the phone up. I'm calling Amy at the house. I'm like, Hey, what are you doing today? You got to get out and get the ten. You got to get a Ten Commandments thing. We got to get that thing posted in our home. I was so convicted by that. Sure enough, when I got home, she had one hanging on the wall. We still have it. It's the same one we still have at our house, by the way. But that was very convicting to me. And I, I, I think about it at times like this with this discussion about liberty. We are so much lamenting, and rightfully so, what has happened to our culture, the, the loss of our heritage. We were just talking last week how without the Puritans, there is no America doesn't exist i mean they are the reason we're all here and yet puritan or puritanical we use that as a put down to one another as it, we are we are we are defecating on our own our own tradition we are in we are in our heritage yeah we're self-loathing our own heritage and legacy mm-hmm. and using it as a swear word as a put down almost so i i get all of that but but if, if, if our institutions that are supposed to be the gatekeepers, if they won't uphold these standards, what what possible success could we expect to have in the world at large then, Bob? That's why I'm really looking forward to the answers to some of these questions. i got to believe they're coming out in the next few days. And I think Todd is right, and I would definitely hit that mark. Put the standard where the standard needs to be. And keep I'll- the focus where the focus needs to be. You're listening to Steve Dace.
are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 here tonight on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Right here on the Salem Radio Network, still to come. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk about why federalism could be an answer to how we can continue to self-government or self-govern in an era of well we're not we're not it's not pluralism anymore it's polarization we'll talk about that with my good buddy Chip Roy who used to run the Senate office for Ted Cruz and was once the assistant attorney general for Texas he's got a piece about this up at National Review also we get to the nightly buzz where we've got some headlines we missed earlier in the evening but first it's time for three questions we all have questions who am i why am i here where am i going who am i a search and a question of identity why am i here a question of meaning and purpose where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It's that time of night when our producer Aaron gets to ask the questions around here, at least the next three questions anyway. This is three questions. Nothing is off limits. He can ask us about anything that he wants, but... But he has to answer the same questions himself, Aaron. Thank you, Steve. Being that Donald Trump has seemingly shot himself in the foot so many times during the election, and it appears uh, he still is, you know, on Twitter and doing that thing and saying some unbelievable things, yet he's still president-elect. He's gotten to where he is. I know we've talked about how he's kind of invulnerable to the media, but is he invulnerable to basically anyone and anything at this point? No. Well, first of all, no one is invulnerable, Um, but you're still talking about a guy that didn't get the popular vote, won four states by 1.4 points or less, and will come in with historically high negatives. So no. Um, What has happened is that an industry that was on its way to, uh, to losing its religion to quote REM before Donald Trump came along, all, all Trump is is he's the cow that kicked over Mrs. O'Leary's lantern, okay? There, there was, there was going to be a fire in Chicago, guys. It was just a matter, all the conditions were there. It was just a matter who the Kickstarter was. So, so Trump comes along. He's just as shameless. He's just as feckless. He's just as intellectually dishonest uh, as they are because he's a product of them. I mean, they, they, they created the Donald as a celebrity, which is how he withstood multiple divorces, bankruptcies, personal scandals, to remain in the public eye and to remain a star despite all of those peccadilloes. So he beat them at their own game. Um, it, it, now they are defeated, and that's not an all. That's not all. That's not all a good thing because you do lack they, what the purpose of a free press was from our founders in the first place, which was 
holding the holding of the system accountable. But they have since they've since given up the ghost on that a long time ago. And you just saw this today with the coverage of what happened at Ohio State University. The minute it turned out to not be a white guy wielding a gun, you know, this whole thing, you know, blows over fast. You can say murders in Chicago over the weekend. Well, who cares? It doesn't fit the narrative. Right. So that will be problematic. But I can promise you right now, if unemployment's up a percent or two, if gas is up 50 cents or a dollar in November of 2020, it is not going to matter how much he trolled them on Twitter. It's not going to matter how much they tried to discredit or how much he has discredited the media. He's going to lose to whoever the Democrats nominate. Now, if gas is about as a dollar 70 a gallon. And, we, and, and the real unemployment rate, not the fake one they adjusted in the Obama years, but the real one, if we, if, if we, if we don't have 93 million Americans not to, in the workforce, but say there's, it, that number's been shelled considerably, it's 70 million, 60 million, there's been a, there's been a mass reduction of that, and that trend line is going down, right? And there hasn't been uh, a successful major terrorist attack on U.S. soil, then it's also not going to matter really what we think of him ideologically, He's going to get reelected. That's so. What Trump has done, Todd, by defeating the media, um, is I think, on one hand, made it very difficult to hold him accountable for what are multiple ethics, uh, you know, pitfalls that you can already see because of his business dealings. Are you can already see this beginning to form, and we've talked about that too. He doesn't even have to intentionally try to use these things to his advantage it's just because you're going to see companies you're going to see countries just line up to give him favor anyway because it would be good for them for uh, uh, to unilaterally do this on their own right because you know that that's they, they got to think hey if, if we let him build a hotel will it, can i get an audience with him when it comes time for you know for a foreign aid to come around they're just going to do this on their own whether he intends them to intends for them to do it or not he doesn't need a clinton foundation he's got a multi he's got a conglomerate called trump but if he doesn't deliver for the American people, he's toast anyway, no matter how discredited the media is. So the good thing about it is he set himself up to at least have a fair shake with the American people. If he delivers, they'll reelect him. And if he doesn't, it doesn't matter how much how much he's discredited the media. They'll get rid of him November of 2020. And, of course, we've talked about this before, and the person who can get in the middle of that fair shake between him and the American people more than anybody is himself. He's doing it right now with Mitt Romney. What did I say right after it was election night? Right out of the gate, he should he should have named Judge Roy Moore as an appointee to the U.S. Supreme Court, and who knows? You know, Ted Cruz would probably lead to the same frustrations with uh, uh, Trump cult as as playing around with Mitt Romney right now. So pick somebody else we'd love for attorney, uh, you know, just like, well, he already did sessions with attorney general. Uh, But that's what he should have done right out of the gate. And and the press would have been absolutely nuts about that. Now the press actually has an in. Well, what's you know? It seems like this is why would this is very anti-Trump. Why would he be playing around with Mitt Romney? That he is the guy that can get in his own way more than anybody else. That's precisely where I was and, going. And I, let me just add yeah. to, to what Todd just said. If this if this proves to go beyond shtick, most Americans right now just think this is a shtick, mm-hmm. and they're enjoying it. He's playing the media. They hate these people anyway. When it, it when or if it starts to get in the way of the of the business of America, if it, when when and if it starts to get in the way of the trains running on time, sooner or later this isn't dinner theater. Yes, yes. okay, that's when stuff's going to get real, and this and this feces ain't funny anymore. Yep. But if that never happens, if that never happens, and this is just proven to be Trump. 
play it, whistling Dixie, pulling the string in the media. We're in the rabbit hole full time, yeah, you mean? Fo- mm-hmm. Folks are just going to enjoy the tubbo corn for the next four years. But the minute that it shows he can't run the country, the first time he blows something, a major decision, uh, something major in governance that was going to have an impact on people's lives, the furor of the American people to grow up and get rid of this will be swift, immediate, and it will be spectacular. Agreed. And uh, where Todd went was exactly where I was going to go. Not making, a, a, of course, a metaphysical statement here, but just the, the, the what entities and what persons or people can uh, keep Trump in check or um, can actually control him. And the only person that he's vulnerable right now is to himself, as both of you have uh, pointed out. Uh, question to Dave Wesley asked me this on Twitter. By the way, if you would like to ask a question for consideration on this segment, email it to Aaron at SteveDace.com. Dave Wesley's question, what is one thing you would warn the framers about so they could adjust the Constitution accordingly? Put in thick, black, permanent marker, which wasn't even invented then, so use charcoal for ink. Exactly what judges can and cannot do, spell it out. Get in a room somewhere, conjure up the worst things you could imagine judges would do, and then go even further and spell out in thick, thick, permanent charcoal ink, they cannot do so. I think the thing I would warn them about would just cause the founders to throw up their hands and say, yeah, well, I ain't, <laughs> this was I ain't a doing good this. Idea if I, once while. I started talking about As in, what do you do people just stop caring? Yes. Yes. And they're like, okay, I'm tapping out here. George Washington just said, yeah, yeah, I'm going back to the plantation and I'm just going to do my thing. And whatever that next generation does, it's on them. Uh, I would put uh, term limits in. That's uh, I'm I'm starting to think that's a better idea more and more um, all the time. Final question: What crazy urban legend do you wish were true? What crazy urban? You need legend? some time. Yeah, can, you go ahead. Let me think of it. Uh, have you ever heard? This is this is crazy. It fits the bill. Uh, ever ever heard of Slenderman? No, no. Ever, it's a really creepy humanoid, uh, tall. A man with no face that uh, supposedly haunts young children. And you want that to be true? So I can vanquish it because it is oh. creepy as heck. So that would be you're into becoming a superhero? Exactly, yes. Well, this is this is your ballpark, man. I know. I, I, I've got to I, I got to think for a minute because I got several I'm, I'm I'm trying to come up with. Anything compel this particular question? This is this is called Todd uh, Todd trying to tread water for more time to uh, think about. Yeah, something. I'm not. <laughs> see, this is not my ballpark at all. Urban legends. Wow. We're gonna have to take the break to think about this. Mm. How about the Bermuda Triangle? Oh yeah. Because I could think of several people we could just uh, we could just lose in there, <laughs> and we got plausible deniability, right? You're listening to Steve Dace. What a blaze of glory sounds like. The Steve Day Show. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. This is the Nightly Buzz, where we go back, take a look at some of the headlines we missed from earlier in the evening that are worth discussing here on the show. 
as shared with us by our producer Aaron, who's been hanging out where you do on social media and at that water cooler at work. He's got the buzz. He's got the nightly buzz, and we've got the hot takes. Thank you, Steve. First story, a Texas Republican has said he will resign as a member of the Electoral College because he can't vote for President-elect Donald Trump in good conscience. Art Cisneros was, uh, wrote a blog post that he doesn't, and said how he doesn't see that Donald Trump is biblically qualified to serve in the office of the presidency. He said, quote, if Trump is not qualified and my role both morally and historically as an elected official is to vote my conscience, then I cannot and will not vote for Donald Trump for president. I believe voting for Trump would bring dishonor to God, end quote. I want to just get rid of for a second what your position is on on his position for just a moment. Forget all of that. And and forget about the names and stuff involved. Let's say it, it was in another context. Um let let's say we had found out something morally or ethically about the person just elected president that was not known prior to the election. See, he uses biblical reasoning, and I don't know, you know, this individual don't know how much he's serious about his faith theologically. A lot of people use biblical reasoning nowadays for things that aren't biblical. But I I really want to push back on this notion that if you're a believer and your government puts you in a position to do something that your faith says you cannot do, that you should resign. No, you should not. This country was formed in the acknowledgement of such conflicts. That's why we have conscientious objections, even in the military, for example. The point of an electoral college, you're under no obligation to vote for Donald Trump. That's the point of the electoral college, or Hillary Clinton for that matter. It is there to be just such a check and balance. So you're not making you're not you're not acting on your faith here by resigning. I even had good friends of mine who let's take a more a case more of us would agree on, Kim Davis, last year. I had several friends of mine I deeply respect within the the Christian thought world who said she should resign. I deeply rejected that. No, she should not resign. She should not resign. You don't resign. You act on your conscience. You took an oath of office, so help me God. Not so, so help me this judge, so help me this committee, so help me this this non-government agency or non-government organization. No. No, first of all, as believers, we are here for conflicts like this. We're here to provide moral clarity to the world. That's why we're here. When these conflicts erupt, the first word of the Great Commission is go. Go ye into all the world, not retreat. Retreat's not the first word, guys. Go is the first word. Go is an, to go somewhere is an offensive maneuver. It is to leave where I am at now and go towards where my goal is, which means I'm on offense here. That's what it means. So go. No, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to make you can me. Because because I'm going to use this platform the way Paul used his in the first century, the way he used his for his his liberty, his freedom as a Roman citizen. I'm going to use your legal system to testify to my truth. Thank you very much. And then in the end, you want to cut my head off? That's fine. After the blade falls, next words I'm going to hear are, "Well done, good and faithful servant." I'll see you on the flip side. Have a nice fallen world for the rest of your life. I'm out of here. That's the Christian moral obligation. We don't resign.
If this individual feels this, great, this, this, this strongly about Donald Trump, this is a coward's way out. I'm sorry. Vote no and then, and, then, and then take the accountability for it. You were elected to that position like everybody else was. We don't resign. We don't, re- resigning to avoid conflicts with our faith is not biblical. He's concerned about biblical standing here. Well, I had my own concerns with biblical standing with Donald Trump. I expressed them for the last year. But let me tell you, I'm just as concerned, Todd, about the biblical standing of this maneuver. This isn't biblical to me. This is passive-aggressive. I want to avoid the conflict. What's biblical is what Kim Davis did, to the point she was willing to go behind bars for it. So, so we are not to retreat from these conflicts. We're not to resign from them. If you feel this strongly about it, then you are compelled as a believer to act, not to blog. I do love that analysis. Uh, we need... Uh, the, the left clearly is regularly acting on their conscience. It is a very, very ill-formed conscience, but they are acting on conscience nonetheless. It is not the problem of the right, whatever that is, that they too often act on their conscience. It is the problem that they rarely act on their conscience. Hmm. Next story. Federal agencies are rushing out a final volley of executive actions in the last two months of Barack Obama's presidency, despite warnings from the Republicans in Congress and the reality that Donald Trump will have the power to erase much of their handiwork after January 20th. Regulations on commodities, speculation, air pollution from the oil industry, doctors, Medicare, drug payments and other such regulations are expected to be issued from Obama's pen in the coming days. Well, this is what we feared several weeks ago, and we used the analogy of the uh, the family who's been evicted from their home for not paying their rent and suddenly decide because they didn't pay their rent that they're victims for not holding, even though it's their own fault. And so they trash the place on the way out on the way of, out the door. We, this is along the lines of what we were talking about. Now, we were pleasantly surprised in the days following the election that I thought they were, frankly, some of the most presidential days of the Obama presidency. But this is, Todd, more in line of what we suspected would happen in the time between November the 8th and January uh, 17th or the 21st when Trump is inaugurated. But if I were them, I would do what they're doing. I would, listen, Trump did, Trump said, Trump talked tough about the Iran deal. Now he's not going to blow it up. May not, may or may not blow up Obamacare. You know what I'm saying? I don't, from their perspective, they got nothing to lose by doing this. If Trump, if Trump eviscerates them on day one in office, so be it, but. Do we really know for sure that he would? No, I agree with you because it it, it plants it plants seeds right out of the gate. Uh, this this stuff is withdrawn instantly. It gives uh, Obama a year from now, eight years from now, an opportunity from a legacy perspective. See, I told you so. And on the other hand, you don't know what Donald Trump. You know, you do these things. He might let them all go. But, uh, I don't know, Obama. Oh, maybe I mean, not Obama so bad. Whispered yeah. in my ear that we needed these yeah, regulations. I mean, you know, is. so I don't know. Who knows? I, I, so from their perspective, they're playing with house money. So Why it's not? Win win. Yeah. If he blows them up, so what? Then big deal. And if he doesn't blow them up, then hey, then it is a big deal, right? Last story quickly. The uh, conference title games for college football are set up for the four of five Power Five conferences that actually have conference title games in the Pac-12. Number four, Washington will take on number nine, Colorado. In the Big Ten, that's the only one that matters. Yeah, in the Big Ten, uh, number six, Wisconsin takes on number eight, Penn State. SEC, number one, Alabama takes on number fifteen, Florida. And in the ACC, number three, Clemson takes on number nineteen, Virginia Tech. That's the only one that matters. The only one that matters is, is Colorado-Washington. If Colorado wins, 
well, then it will be unreal to see what will happen after that. And if Washington wins, your four teams are set. That's the only game that really matters is that game in, on So Friday. you're a Colorado Buffalo fan. So say we all? Probably, yes. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. No wasted ammo. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. He's a good buddy of mine. He's the former chief of staff for Senator Ted Cruz, former Assistant Attorney General in the state of Texas. He now runs the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Chip Roy joins us here on the show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. How are you, Chip? Good evening, friend. How are you? I'm doing very well. You've got an interesting piece up I wanted to talk to you about tonight, Chip, uh, that uh, ran at, uh, at National Review right before the holiday. So I wanted to make sure people didn't miss it. Because one of the things we are wrestling with right now is the polarization of America. I don't know if you saw these stats from earlier today, but but Hillary Clinton, thanks to California, she's going to win the popular vote, right? So she's going to have over 60 million Americans yep. voted for her for president of the United States, despite the fact she won fewer than 500 of America's 3,142 counties, parishes, boroughs. That's less than 15%. Right. Right. So that tells you how many people live in those few hundred counties and areas that she won. But then that also gets you to consider the landmass of people that live everywhere else that didn't want what she was offering the country. We are incredibly polarized along those lines, Chip. And so how do we do e pluribus unum in that atmosphere when we have taken pluralism to its most illogical conclusion? How do we live together? Well, Steve, uh, thanks for asking that. I mean, look, I think what we have right now is actually an opportunity. And we're, what I'm starting to see, and Steve, I, I assume you're seeing it too, both in callers and just generally watching and observing in politics, we're seeing a lot of people across the political spectrum who are starting to realize the benefits of letting people decide for themselves and letting states decide for themselves suddenly, right? You have a great wake-up call on the left going, oh, my gosh, what have we got? We've got this guy. We've got Donald Trump in the White House. And frankly, you've got some on the right, right? You've got a decent number of never-Trumpers out there who are concerned. And so my point in the piece, unity through federalism, was just simply, it does not matter your ideology. We should all be able to agree and come back together under the founding principle and the founding notion of federalism. That is, better stated, really, is distributed government, government that's closer to the people. And you're pointing out this notion of how the president's elected and all this debate about the Electoral College. They did it for a reason, they being the founders, giving the states a significant, if not the formal say, in how we elect the president. It's because of that notion that we should be instructed by by states. And, you know, one thing I think I noted in the article, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, I'll paraphrase. Jefferson had retired. He's in Monticello out near Charlottesville in Virginia after the presidency in the 1820s, a few years before his death. And he said, look, if, if it, it's not by consolidated power, the concentration of power, uh, that good government is affected, but by, distri- but by their distribution. And if this great country weren't already divided into states, that division must be made 
so that uh, each state can do for itself what it concerns directly rather than a distant authority. And that's exactly the right deal. The states exist for a reason so we can all govern ourselves locally. And it's an opportunity for us to unify together in the, in the wake of this, uh, this election. The title of your piece is Unity Through Federalism. Let's start with defining federalism. What is it? I like to define it as, in simple terms, distributed government uh, under the structure that our founders gave us, where decision-making is made across the structures of government, where certain powers that were very specifically delegated in Washington to the federal government were very limited and specifically enumerated. All other powers that the Tenth Amendment re-articulate, all other powers are left to the states, and importantly, this is the part that people leave out a lot, the people. That's the whole point. The distribution of power. Federalism says those decisions are being made by the people, personal responsibility, taking care of your families, state, state power, and then a few things that the federal government does, national security, coin money, you know, etc. Why did the founders view this to be important? Well, keeping in mind where the founders came from at the time with respect to questioning, obviously, a faraway distant authority and a king, and not to get too basic about it, but this is what they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to fight and to fight so that we could have a different form of government. And these were founders who were immersed in uh, deep philosophical thought and studying everybody from Aristotle and Plato and everything else to John Locke and some of their contemporaries looking through how do we structure ourselves to maximize liberty, to maximize what the Declaration properly identified were our God-given inalienable rights. And so the structure of government was something that they believed was, was, was specifically designed, our federal structure, to protect and maximize those, maximize those individual rights. Chip Roy is here with us, former chief of staff to Ted Cruz, former assistant attorney general for Texas. More on unity through federalism here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. The truth, straight, no chaser. Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. Chip Roy is here with us, good friend of mine. He is the former chief of staff for Senator Ted Cruz. He also was the assistant attorney general for Texas. He now runs the Texas Public Policy Foundation. He's got an excellent piece up at National Review about unity through federalism. And in the article, Chip, you asked the following questions. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to care quite so deeply about who controlled the White House? Wouldn't it be better if we didn't have to care who might be appointed to the Supreme Court beyond knowing he or she was qualified to wisely answer questions on the law? And wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to care who the bureaucrats were because their duties were so inconsequential? I think a lot of us would say yes to that. And I say that knowing that uh, I I have a piece up at Conservative Review today about why I think the Scalia appointment uh, for Trump will be the barometer for his presidency, even though, as you know, I've spent a lot of my career fighting judicial oligarchy masquerading as stare decisis. I'm completely against it. It's not what the founders wanted. But I also can't live in the land of marshmallow dreams and make-believe. We do behave as if what these judges decree, their latest positivist positivist whims are the... 
are what the Constitution says today and not what it said yesterday. So we do sort of feel like, hey, whoever takes that Scalia seat might have a huge impact on whatever level of freedom we have left for the, until the next appointment comes along. Is that the way the founders intended it, for it to be this capricious? Definitely not. And, and, and I appreciate your perspective on this. And for your listeners out there, I think that Steve's um, articulated something that's really important with respect to the Supreme Court that the we we're not supposed to be bowing down to the altar of the court, right? That's not what the founders intended. We're not supposed to go to them for approval or definition of marriage or understanding of when life begins or I mean heck the Supreme Court even when Texas was suing to stop the president's executive amnesty and we won in the Fifth Circuit, we got a four four tie in the Supreme Court. Well that meant four justices and a four four split where yeah sure the president can do whatever he wants. We're, we're going to the court for them to tell us how to live. We're going to the court for them to tell us and give us permission on how to live free. And that's not what the founders intended. And that's a problem. And I think that the opportunity right now is for people to increasingly be aware that when you're so beholden to a presidential election, that this time around you had Rachel Maddow kind of tearing up on MSNBC and you had other people all getting emotional and the, all the Clinton people are down crying and you know, but remember four years ago, it was it was Carl Rove freaking out on Fox News with his white mm-hmm. voice. We've got all, all these people who are so built up around the presidency. Why? We heard it from when never Trumpers were criticizing the uh, uh, nominee, uh, Donald Trump. You had the, 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 the supporters were all saying, oh, but the Supreme Court. Oh, my gosh, the Supreme Court. That's why it's gotten so bad and so far away from what the founders intended that we care so much. We should care who our governors are or who our local representatives are. We should care about what our school boards are doing and what our schools are doing instead of waiting for bated breath for the Supreme Court or the president to tell us how to live. Do you view the Convention of States movement to be within line of the Federalist approach that you are advocating, Chip? Absolutely. And and I, I want to uh, for your listeners, so I think that because you've talked about it before, but you know, we're talking about the Article 5 of the Constitution, where it outlines how you amend the Constitution of the United States. And in there is a provision that most of us are pretty familiar with, that if Congress wants to amend it, they propose and pass an amendment, and then it's sent to the states to be ratified by three-quarters of the states. The alternative approach, of course, is also in that same article in the Constitution that says, hey, if the states want to apply to have a convention of states to get together to propose amendments, they can ask Congress to call a convention for them. And so the states are, are, uh, are empowered by the founders to do that. And so those people who kind of say, well, gosh, why would we do that? The founders gave us this great constitution. Why would we you know, dare have a convention where we might pass something? And I answer to that, uh, pass something that we don't like. And my answer to that is twofold, which is one, the founders gave it to us specifically, especially those who were fearful of central power, like George Mason and some of our more, quote, anti-federalist founding fathers that they gave it to us for a reason. It's in the Constitution for a purpose. And secondly, you still have to have uh, 38 states, and if you have 13 states who don't like something, that will kill it. And this is part and parcel to the empowerment of the people through the states and the laboratories of democracy, where we can live according to the dictates of our conscience at the local and state level without a faraway distant elite telling us how to live. Chip, let's game plan out something then that uh, to play devil's advocate of what of what you're advocating, and and I'll choose something that our side would likely agree with. Sure. Let's say President Trump signs into law national reciprocity next year. 
which essentially it honors concealed carry in all 50 states. Right. Uh, and and a, 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 a very liberal state like California says, hey, that's not what we want to do, so we're not going to honor that here. Uh, we're going to pass something in our state legislature. There's nothing in the U.S. Constitution that says con- that concealed carry is uh, ought to be nationwide, although you could argue that's within line of the Second Amendment, but that brings right. up my point. Who adjudicates this? So let me actually address that specific issue since you brought it up, because I'm sure a lot of your listeners, like I, I'm a proud Second Amendment supporter, concealed carry permit holder, uh, firearm owner, uh, and believe in the right to carry. And I think all states should be re- uh, reciprocal. That being said, I do think unless you have uh, a, a power, unless you have Congress or unless you have the Supreme Court clarify that the Second Amendment actually does mean keep and bear arms means you have a constitutional right to carry, which they have not done to date, then it is a good question as to whether or not the federal government ought to pass a law under the Commerce Clause that it can regulate whether a state has a certain kind of concealed carry permit, right? I think that is a that that is a tension against federalism mm-hmm. on an issue, as you rightly identify, on our side. Um, I am not a fan of using the Commerce Clause to regulate how a state chooses to make its own decisions about these things. But remember, in this case, it's balanced against a true constitutionally protected right under the Second Amendment, which has a legitimate claim that, that carrying is bare arms. Well, because the guys that ratified it were carrying. Right. <laughs> but, but, but that's the sort of argument that we are going to have. Uh, from the other side if we go down this road. But here's why I like that argument. Because at least we're arguing now about what government cannot do as opposed to what it can. I'd rather, I'd much rather argue over that, Chip, wouldn't you? Yes or no? Absolutely. 100% agree, sir. Hey, brother, thanks for joining us tonight. All right, God bless you. Take care. Great Anytime. article. God bless. Anytime. All right, we'll come back and have some reaction to what you just heard here in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. Most of what we say is illegal in Europe. Get the truth while you still can. Steve Dace. Back to wrap it up here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. And I'd like to know, gentlemen, what you learned from the conversation we just had from my buddy or with my buddy uh, Chip Roy, uh, former Assistant Attorney General for Texas, Chief of Staff for former former Chief of Staff for Senator Ted Cruz, now with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And he thinks that the 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 best way we are go- that we have to get to limited government, given the current state of the culture. Just how, just to be practical and acknowledge how polarized things are, is to take a heightened view of federalism. And that essentially, if California wants to create Sodom and Gomorrah on the Pacific, that's a them problem. Just leave the rest of us alone if you're going to do so. And presumably, if the Bible Belt decides that, uh, you know, they want to party like it's 1899, God bless them. That's. That's perfect. That's that's their thing to do as well. Of course, understand that you can't violate anybody's inalienable rights as enshrined in the U.S. Constitution in the process of creating your own little uh, your own little uh, state bordered fiefdom. What do you think, Aaron? 
Uh, I really loved um, the, the concept of actually taking this higher view of federalism. I mean, it's it's the reason we have states, uh, isn't it? I mean, the the idea. Well, it was Jefferson's thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty pretty good idea, uh, if you ask me. Um, but I I think that the one thing that I took from that conversation, I, I agree with basically everything that was that was said, especially this uh, notion that um, you know if uh, one state wants to do uh, what. Uh, you know what it wants to do and another state doesn't then that's that's fine I, the, the one thing that kept popping back into my head is that we should not fool ourselves into thinking that the left or anybody uh who identifies as a leftist or liberal or progressive uh will just say hey yeah you know what that's a good idea too because they are this horde of locusts but i think if we want to take a posture if if there's one last gasp of trying to um constrain government in our time then maybe maybe federalism uh is is the way to go with that we think todd yeah we don't need to be talking about article five or convention of states to agree with the premise of states being laboratories of democracy i mean amen to that that's not a new idea that's old idea that's that's what you keep saying steve i'm a conservative because i want to conserve things amen so he like mark meckler last week made very good head of the convention of yes, states project yep. uh made good points but again just like our discussion last week you asked some follow-up questions it's just never quite as neat and tidy as they make it seem in theory you ask a question about how you follow up with a uh, uh concealed carry legislation who decides well now we're now we're getting into the weeds of the commerce clause and the supreme well, i think the way you get around that is you don't even cite the commerce clause you just cite the second amendment well yeah. the right to keep and bear arms and it was written hey, by people that were all carrying but, so therefore you have a right to carry agreed and but argue it that way right yeah but that's what we can be arguing right now too uh, that, sure that's my point we're going to be locked into the same weeds no matter what we should just that doesn't mean it's not worth doing we should not be in denial about that and that's why your follow-up was well, so there, important. what i hear you saying is there are no panaceas no no there aren't no because of where we are at morally as a people that's yes. why we have a constitution that was written only for a moral religious people right bingo john three seventeen. you're listening to steve dace